In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous stupid to think that you can worship something that God created. Let that thing that God created that you love, that you enjoy, let it point you back to God and worship him. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we we salute salute you. you. Hey guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and as you heard with our perfectly harmonized voices, (laughs) or is it melodious? I don't know. Melodious. Co-host and producer, good friend Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? Doing amazing. Oh, that's good. Hey, I'll tell you what, I'm really excited about today's guest Way back when, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was a youth pastor down in California. When you had hair. When I had hair. Ha. Yeah, I shaved it in 2000. Uh, this, this guy's band uh, was playing. I think they are, the, they are the pioneers in contemporary Christian music going to worship. And we sang so many of these guys' songs. And so I didn't know he was the lead singer in this band until after we booked him. So I am really excited to have this guy on our show today. Uh, he's a guy who really made my youth ministry days a lot easier. But before we get into this, uh, tell us about a man word for today. Yeah, and I was going to say, he probably heard about you back then, too. And he's oh, I'm pretty sure stoked did, to baby. be with the legend he's Jim like, Ramos. I'm with Jim Ramos? Yeah, I remember exactly. that guy. <laughs> yeah, it happens, man. Oh, baby. <laughs> he might have a uh, tattoo. If he hangs out in Walmart, you. he may know who I am. <laughs> It's it, Dollar General. There you go. Yeah, or Goodwill. Okay. So, man word. I'm going to go with. I'm, I, you're you're thinking I'm going to say worship, so I'm going to go with the word awaken. What did you say? I, why would I? Yeah. Come on. What was the word? Awakening. <laughs> I told you. Yeah. He's like it's like I'm married to him. Yeah. You weird. tried to trick me, and you couldn't do it. I didn't try to trick you. I just picked a word. Oh no, you didn't. I didn't have any motive you're involved. Such liars. The lake of fire. Is where liars go. Seriously, you think I just plot this out? How am I going to trick Jimmy today? Why did you? Yes, I do. Why did you pick this word? (laughs) Well, I think we need to have an awakening. Yeah, and it's pretty awesome uh, doing this ministry and seeing the comments we get from uh, guys where there have been multiple awakenings that have happened uh, in guys' lives, and they start getting it. And uh, their family it gets to celebrate that, and they get this huge win because a guy is awake. Well, when a man gets it, everyone wins. And so a lot of what we, we should do put is that just, on a poster. I know we should. A lot of what we do, I think we do a lot of stuff where we're slapping guys into reality. We're awakening their spirit. We're awakening their heart. 
and uh, you know, kind of putting the paddles on it and type of thing. And yeah, and I think guys need to be awakened in a lot of ways. Uh, one of those is is that what, what they do at church on Sunday, mm-hmm. like the frozen shows, and they just sit there. Wake <laughs> up, buddy! I know you got a pulse, but let's wake up. I watched wake the guy last Sunday. He was just staring at the band the whole time. I'm like, this guy's getting entertained. He's just checking out yeah, the different I don't know, instruments. And we I'm just like, need to engage, engage in, in church, engage in worship. Anyway, yeah. hey, great man word. Hey, do you have a shout out today on iTunes or yeah. any review? This uh, guy, his name is Far From Peace is what it's called on there. And he his title on there was Life Changing. So he had some good, uh, it was a great review. So thank you for that. And I've noticed um, just going through and looking at the podcast uh, stats, uh, things are climbing, and I think that directly comes from you guys uh, giving your reviews and telling your friends, and and we just yeah, uh, we're not about the numbers necessarily, but we are about the numbers. If you know what I mean, we want to see that lives are being impacted, and so we just need to get the information out there. Yeah, and we're nonprofit faith based, so it's not like we're in it for the money. So we just want to see <laughs> lives change because when you get it. We get it. We win. Your win is our win. And uh, man, it's just a great part of uh, it's a great part of what we do, man. Just hey, man, I'm really excited about today's guest, Jeff Dio. Uh, Jeff is 49 years old. He's from Lakeville, Minnesota. He has uh, been married to his beautiful wife, Martha. I- I'm assuming she's beautiful because he's a handsome guy over here mm-hmm. uh, of 27 years. So Shanna and my wife and I are celebrating 27 August 1st. So we're right, be- right, right behind you there. Uh, Jeff nice. is author, recording artist, songwriter, speaker, podcaster, and professor at North Central University. He is known internationally as the former lead singer of the Grammy-nominated Dove Award-winning group, wait for it, Sonic Flood. Whoop, whoop. Sonic Flood. In the secret. Okay, anyway. Jeff lives to help people grow closer to God. He is the creator of Pure Worship Podcast and Pure Worship Institute. Jeff travels extensively, leading worship, speaking, and coaching worship teams, and is a regular leader at the and speaker at different men's events around the country and world. Jeff is author of his newly released book, Awakening Pure Worship, Cultivating a Closer Friendship with God, which is the book I just finished reading, and it's our topic for today. Man, so excited to get Jeff Dio on the show with us today. Jeff, how you doing, my man? Man, I'm doing great. How you doing, Jim? Dale, what's happening, guys? <laughs> hey, man, we're excited. We're, we're excited, and he you're just excited. just came in like a wrecking we're ball. Gonna, this is going to be like, <laughs> don't, don't even sing that song. I have bad images of you all swinging without your shirt on or something. So. Again? Yeah, so uh, Jeff, man, I'm so excited. Hey, why don't you, why don't you take five minutes, man, and, and share your personal story with our guys so they get to know you, get some context of uh, the book. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, so great to be on here with you guys. Thank you so much for hanging out. I really appreciate what you guys are doing too, because you know my heart burns for men to be able to follow Christ. And obviously, we're going to get into some of that stuff. But uh, I've been following Christ since I was four. Uh, actually, my dad led me to the Lord when I was four. Um, you know, it's one of those things I love about Christianity. It's so deep and can be rich and complex. But even a four-year-old can understand the basics of Christianity and go, man, I've messed up. I need a savior. Wow. And so my dad, you know, taught me all those things. And, and I remember kneeling down beside my bed to receive Christ, um, with him and, and then, you know, have, have been on a journey, just like everyone listening, everyone watching, you know, have been on a journey of following Christ since that time. So, um, definitely have been involved in music. Obviously you mentioned the Sonic flood connection there. Uh, you know, Every good mom puts her kids in piano lessons uh, when they're young. So I was, those, you know, I was six years old. I uh, didn't have a clue, you know, if that was going to mean anything. But man, it ended up sticking for me. And 
even though I played a bunch of sports growing up as well, uh, ended up going with the music thing. It was a little safer. I broke some bones, got some good stories on all that stuff too in sports. But, uh, but man, just, just really we've been on this journey of understanding who God is and what the purpose of life is. And, you know, you, you guys are going to find that I am definitely kind of a bottom line type of guy. I just want to know what it's all about. You know, like I, it's way too complicated sometimes. And I think that's one of the, the greatest compliments that I've been given by people is they'll say, man, you take that complicated subject or that super political issue that everyone's talking about and you just bring it down so it's simple and understandable. What does God say? What does the Bible say? How can we make this clear? So I have a real heart for those types of things as well. But uh, grew up in a Christian family. Uh, my dad actually has been in youth for Christ for 55 plus years, <clears throat> man. I'm where, telling you where at, I was in youth for Christ yeah. as a credentialed guy for five years. Okay. So yeah, youth for Christ. I mean, we've been all over the, over the country, but Denver has been the main area. That's the national headquarters for youth of Christ. They still live there. Now I grew up there. Uh, that's why I'm a huge Denver Broncos fan. Uh, but grew up there in my elementary school years. Uh, my dad started the Youth for Christ program in Columbus, Ohio, uh, back in my junior high years, and then was the regional director for Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky uh, for my high school years. Uh, so did all kinds of stuff. I mean, just well, so I grew up in that ministry ministry environment. Man, it's a small world. So the guy who led me to Lord the Lord in Campus Life Youth for Christ. Yeah, he went away for nine years on a missionary trip to Germany. Came back with a Young Life Youth for Christ partnership. Came back yeah. to Denver. His wife just retired as the vice president of uh, Nas- uh, of national uh, administration from okay. Denver, the main office in Denver. Debbie McCusker. Wow. So I mean, I bet okay. your dad and her know each other. I yeah. bet your dad knows her. Absolutely, oh, man. They probably funny. office in the same building. I mean, he's right there in the same office. I mean, he's 79 years old, still part-time employee mm. of Youth for Christ. He's actually working on a history or, or just did a history project for the last 75 years of Youth for Christ, uh, starting with the idea that Billy Graham was the very first full-time staff member, right, of Youth for Christ. So, 1944. Yeah, that's right. 1944. That's right. Anyway, yeah. So that's that's really cool. I read the Youth for Christ connection in your in your book, and I thought, oh, that's cool, man. We can connect on something there. That's really awesome. Well, so yeah, definitely. So, so hey, we're gonna just we're gonna jump right in here, man, and we're gonna cool. throw you into our rapid fire round. All right. So, are you ready for this? Oh yeah, man. <laughs> hey, so what I've done, man, is I've I'm calling this the keyword and phrase round. So I went through your book. I found five what I thought were very substantial words or phrases. And I just want you to explain them to our readers. These guys are driving to work. Uh, you know, I'm hoping they'll buy your book and read it. I think it's a great book. Uh, if they can't, I want them to get a sense of what's in it and what your heartbeat behind the book is. And, and I really do appreciate your book, by the way. Uh, you talked about taking a simple, you know, simplifying a, a complex concept and your book is broken down into three sections, the what, the why, and the who. And I thought, how cool is that? Because worship, you know, there what are there ten different words for worship in the Bible or something oh, like yeah. that? It's, it's so much. It's so insane. Much. And you you really broke it down. And uh, just on a personal level, your first section, the what of worship, for some reason, God really stirred me. That section was worth the price of admission for me. I just really resonated with that, and so wow. I really appreciate that. And uh, I'm going to throw you into the fire here. I'm actually going to pull a word out of the last section of your book. 
And the word is actually not an English word. It's the word proskuneo. Yeah, man. Proskuneo, a uh, Hebrew word for worship. And it's crazy because, you know, there's so much hidden in these words in the Bible. And really, the Bible is like a treasure hunt. It really is. I yeah. mean, you, know, it, you, you, you don't just read it for the surface level. You get to go deep and you get to search all of your life. Like, I'm convinced that if, if I just had John 3.16, that verse, and I was stuck on an island for the rest of my life, and the only verse I knew was that one, I could find fresh revelation and understanding of relationship with God just from that one verse because of the depth of layers, a layer upon layer upon layer. So, you know, you got this treasure hunt and this word proskuneo, uh, which really is a word that talks about, it's a, it, kind of an intimate word of worship, which, you know, sometimes us men, we're not really that fond of, yeah. and maybe we can talk more about that word intimacy because I had a, a real ugh, love-hate relationship with that, that, that word. But, you know, th- as we talked earlier, this, I, the idea is, is that proskuneo is like worship in the sense that a dog would come to its master. And you have that relationship, that special, close relationship where a dog would come and, and lick the master's hands and, and just, just be there, like ready to do whatever the master wants, you know, excited, happy, uh, maybe a little bit messy and sloppy, you know, all that stuff. It's not a perfect, you know, uh, pristine relationship it's a little rough around the edges and but it's passionate and exciting and and so that's one of the words that we actually use for worship in the bible is that kind of concept of us coming to our master with that same type of love and affection that a dog would come to his master well you know that word pruskenuo that word is used more than the other 10 words i think there are other 10 more words it's more it's used in the bible more than the other 10 combined it's Man, a real it's powerful power. word. And, and you know, it's it really is. funny. When I, you, when I come home, we had dogs and cats when the kids were growing up. Now we have no cats and maybe someday dogs. But the better I treated my dog, the more it thought I was God. The better I treated my cat, the more it thought it was God. And I'll tell you what, I I hope I can become the man that my dog thought I was. You know what I'm saying? And so I'll tell you what, I mean, that's such a true statement. So that Pruskenu, that's, well, this is the thing about your book that I appreciated. Because when we think of worship, we think of singing, we think of floating around on harps with with diapers. And Pruskenu has, there's nothing to do with music. Yeah. Absolutely. Music is only a part of what worship is. That's one of the things that we, and that certainly is part of the discussion of this whole thing is because, you know, the devil's always trying to bring deception. He's always trying to get us to dumb things down. Worship, music, I I call it musical worship most of the time when I'm talking about that thing that we do in church that involves music. It's a very important part, and I, I speak to it some in the book, but at the end of the day, the most important thing is the relational aspect. Worship through music is part of the relational approach we have to God but my goodness, it's an all-inclusive, all-day-long, you know, moment-by-moment relationship that you have with God, and it doesn't always include music, but it always includes worship. Well, that, well you talked about a relationship with God. You talked about intimacy. So my next f- word is actually a phrase, and I want you to explain this in the context of what you're saying, and the, the phrase is manifest presence. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I love this because one of the things you'll find in my book is you kind of find this pattern that happens through scripture of the both and yeah you have these concepts and what happens so often in churches 
and, and, and around Christian folks is that we kind of pick one or the other instead of the both and, right? One of the obvious ones is the Bible tells us in John 4, 23, that we should worship God in spirit and in truth. Well, you got whole churches that are trying to worship God just in spirit or just in truth. And the most important word in spirit and truth is the word and, yes, right? Yes, yes. So you've got this whole concept and, and where you're trying to uh, get the both and of this presence thing. And I think there's so much misunderstanding about the presence of God. Honestly, Jim, I, I, I grew up in a, in a church setting where I really felt awkward sometimes even saying things like presence of God and, and you know, <laughs> words like manifest presence and you know, omnipresence and all this stuff. It was like, man, this just it seems weird. It seems hyper spiritual, you know. But all we're saying is there's two types of God's presence. I grew up in more of a culture where we identified God's presence as omnipresence, which just means he's present all the time, everywhere. Yeah. And people, most people understand that concept, like God is everywhere. It's, it's mind-boggling to think of that. You know, when it says in the Psalms, when David says, I can go up to the heights of heaven or down to the depths of the sea, and I could never escape you. I mean, that's, that's amazing. It's powerful. Yeah. But then you have this other thing, the manifest presence of God, where it seems like God could actually move into a room. And the, the Old Testament talks about him moving into the temple or sadly moving out of the temple or whatever. So he has this ability to, yes, be present all the time, but also then to make himself be sensed. He can, you know, our spiritual senses come alive. And that's when his manifest presence shows up. Uh, and, and you can kind of feel it. And we have a hard time describing that. You know, we try to go, ah, I think God moved or God touched me. You know, what does that even mean? But yeah. we're trying to describe this spiritual thing that happened that we can't describe, but it's bigger than a human understanding. And it's a, it's a supernatural encounter with God. So instead of having a one or the other, oh, I either believe in the manifest presence of God or the omnipresence of God. It's both and. And we understand that God is always present, but he also can manifest seemingly uh, coming or even going. That's really powerful, man. And I'm going to touch on a point later on in the podcast, but but you know, we can go into church and have the omnipresence of there, which we know because the truth of the word says that wherever two or more gathered, he is there with them. We know that God is omnipresent. Right. Yet we can miss the manifest presence because even though God has shown up, there's one other entity that has not shown up. And we're going to talk about that later. Okay. So yes, don't be a spoiler. Okay. So you have another section in your book that uh, I've put two words together. They're not really phrased in the book together, but they're close. And I want you to address when it comes to worship, when it comes to how we relate to God, when it comes to his manifest presence in our life, will you explain uh, the two uh, kind of conflicting terms becoming versus doing? Ah, uh, yes. I tell you, man, and this is a huge one for men, you know, I mean, I, I right. I mean, I'm a doer. I, I want to get stuff done. Like I'm an A type personality. I love lists. I love outlines, which is kind of weird for a musician. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're kind of opposite that way, a little more creative side. So I kind of got a little both thing going on there. I'm a little strange, but I mean, I'm the kind of guy, uh, Jim, where if I make a list of the things I need to do and I do something significant that's not on the list, I write it on the list and cross it off because I got to feel like, you know, I'm a doer. Right? It still counts. It, it still counts. <laughs> of course, God made us to do. 
I mean, there's a million commands in the Bible about doing, it's loving your neighbor, it's taking care of the poor. Paul even said, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Yep. You know, so it's not like doing is a bad thing. But what, what I get at in the book is that being is the thing that is most important. And I mean, you know, it even goes into the idea of, uh, and you said becoming, but it goes into the idea of are we human doings? Or are we human beings? Yes. We're, the essence of who we are is to be. And we often, we, we are constantly searching for our identity based on what we do. Yes. And so we think, we have this deception, we believe that if we do something great, then we will become someone great. And in the kingdom of God, it works exactly the opposite, yep. right? As we become like God, and that's in our pursuit of him, seeking him, to know him, we become like him, then out of that flows the incredible works that God has assigned for us to do in advance. He, out of our becoming, out of, our, out of who we are, we can now do the great works that he's called us to do. That's so good, man. You know, it's funny. I had this picture in my brain. I'm scuba certified. And yeah. uh, scuba was really challenged me for it because I, I don't swim. But in scuba, you have to be in water. Yeah. I do everything fast. But in scuba, you have to do everything slow. I'm very decisive. But in scuba, you can't be. I like to move. But in scuba, you shouldn't move. Everything wow. about scuba is opposite about what I would. It's counterintuitive. And spiritually yes. speaking, our faith in Jesus is paradoxical, right? I it mean, is. we're supposed it's to be tough. strong. I've got to be weak. To live, I've got yes. to die. To give, yes. I've got to serve. I mean, all these things, and you're and yeah. you're unlocking this. And I think when you get men uh, into a room, I call it now. Forgive me for this. I think you can handle this. I call it. You get men in a room. I call it a big pissing contest. Oh, you know, sure, everybody's man. in there. They're whipping out, and they're like, you know, my job oh, yeah. is more than your money, and my wife is prettier than yep. your wife, and and that's yep. God's not about that. Nope. Yeah, he's definitely just about who you are. And, and of course, who we are comes from who he says we are. Yes. And that's hard to embrace because I want to be in charge of who I am. I want to be the one who decides I accomplish this, therefore I am that. And that goes against what God is saying. God is saying, no, you are who I say you are. And so I resist that at first. But man, who he says I am is amazing. I'm a son. I'm empowered. I am filled with the spirit of God. I have purpose. I have destiny. Uh, all those things. I mean, why would I reject that part? So in, out of who I am, now I can do all those things that God's called me to do. And it's, it's pretty amazing. And if I really embrace who I am, Jeff, and if I really allow the Father to affirm me, then I don't need to... When I'm in that circle of men, they're all bragging about all the stuff they have. I can be the one encouraging and applauding that and celebrating that for those guys. I don't yes. have to be affirming me because I've got a father who understands that and who affirms me. And this is the yeah. hard part for men to understand. And I think part of that affirmation, Jeff, I think it comes through worship. Yes. I think it comes through worship. So here's my next word. And I think that men in our society, I think men in general throughout the history of the world have, uh, and here's the word I want you to address. They've been desensitized. Mm -hmm. to who they are. What, explain this word in, in the context of your book, desensitization. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the idea of desensitization, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's the fact that we have uh, grown numb to all the things that God has called us to. You know, we are trying to find uh, significance and identity 
with all the wrong areas. You know, we get that. We hear it in the song. You know, I was I was pursuing love in all the wrong places and all that <laughs> stuff, you know? I mean, it's true, though. It's so true because we're constantly looking for affirmation, constantly looking for identity issues, and we get desensitized to uh, who God is. Yeah, I mean, it's like we get so numb to all the things that God wants from us because we're constantly pursuing all the things that we want. And so mm. we, we, uh, we, we don't really understand what fulfills us because we're constantly being temporarily satisfied with the little things that the earth provides. You know, it's a crazy thing because God gives us all these blessings in the earth and we're supposed to enjoy them. We're yes. supposed to uh, have an abundant life. But when they become God for us, then it's suddenly us worshiping the things that God has created. You know, and that's the irony of the whole thing is we actually do, uh, man, it's just so amazing that we actually worship the things that God created rather than the God who created them. You know, I mean, I know the Bible talks, uh, the Old Testament about how uh, idolatry, and I know we don't we don't think in terms of this that much in our modern society, yeah. but how the guy who makes an idol chops down a tree, uses half of it to cook his meal, and the other half to make an idol, and worships the idol from the same block of wood that that he cooked his dinner on, you know, and, and then um, and bows down before. It's like, man, that's numb when you can. And maybe we would, you know, maybe we could be honest here and say that's just stupidity. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, we're, <laughs> it's just stupidity. Let's call it what it is. You know, it's numb, but yeah, it's stupid to think that you could worship something that God created. Let that thing that God created that you love, that you enjoy, let it point you back to God and worship Him. Well, you know what's interesting, uh, Jeff, as I hear you unpack that. So I'm just, uh, I try to be pretty open with our listeners about my journey. And I've been, uh, in a in a space in the last month, I would say uh, stressed out, and yeah. and I've been pretty good over thirty years of ministry of managing my schedule and not being stressed out. But it, it's gotten overwhelming. Summertime is supposed to slow down. It's really gotten heated up, and and I've realized in the last couple of weeks, even through your book, wow, I have started to worship and place my focus on the thing I am called to do, not yeah. the one who has called me to the thing. And yes. so I've had to confess that. I've, I've written a blog to all of our men saying, hey, man, I'm calling it my construction. And uh, you, wrote, you wrote in your book on page 24, you said, we must understand that effective ministry, or you can put the word your, your job, effective career, is yes. always and only a fruit of one thing, active intimacy, fellowship, friendship, communion with God. And so when, when it comes to worship and, and when it comes to living this life focused on, on the Father, on God, these guys that we have listening to our podcast, they're hardworking, mostly American men. How, what would you say to these guys about keeping the number one thing the number one thing? Yeah. I mean, part of this, uh, Jim, is, is really us remembering who we are and where we came from. Like, honestly, a lot of times the God that we're worshiping is ourselves. Oh, like, for sure. You know, we're, we're trying to one-up the next guy or whatever, but we're trying to build something for ourselves. And, and we really have to understand that we can't even breathe if God doesn't give us breath. Like, you've got to look yourself in the mirror, men, and say, man, if 
if God didn't hold my body together, I would fall into a clump of bone and muscle on the floor. If he didn't create gravity, if he didn't give me food to sustain me, if he didn't give me oxygen that I could breathe and create the science that actually makes all that happen, there would be no me. Yeah. So it's, wow. it's an illusion for us to imagine that we can accomplish something great. And God is God is calling us back. And honestly, that's a big part of this book is saying, hey, we've got to get the main thing to be the main thing. As I search the scriptures from front to back, the entire word, Old Testament, New Testament, I see constantly the writers of the gospels, constantly of the, the, the known uh, writers in the Old Testament as well. They're always referring to the one most important thing. And, you know, it's so easy as us men to get into that doing mode, as we mentioned. But God is constantly calling us back to intimacy, fellowship with him. Now, again, I I mentioned earlier that I wasn't a huge fan of that word intimacy. You know, if you got ministry and you got intimacy or career, that type of thing, I'm thinking, man, I, somebody showed me when I was in middle school, a song of songs, you know, and that's not, I mean, (laughs) Dude, I personally feel like we get the wrong end of the metaphor deal in the Bible, you know? Yeah, us men, you know, he's got bride of Christ. You know, all the ladies are like, oh, that's so tender and so sweet. Us men are like, I don't want to put on a wedding dress. No, we're, we're saying I want to climb the branches and grab hold of the pomegranates. <laughs> Where are those peaches you know, on that tree? I, re- I remember in Shake middle em. school, you know, somebody reading from Song of Songs and I'm like horrified. I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh, like, I don't want to be talking about my girl's cheeks as pomegranates. Her neck is the Tower of David. I don't want to be talking about her uh, teeth being as white as a sheep. <laughs> Guys, I mean, I figure if your teeth are as white as a sheep, they're not very white. You probably need some Crest Whitening strips. You know <laughs> because that's not even – I've never seen a sheep that was that white. Yeah. You know? It was like kind of brown. If, hey, if a woman has a neck like a tower, man, that she needs to like yeah. lift some weights or something. That's just creepy. I mean, it, it says that her hair was like the flock of goats frisking down the slopes of Gilead. I'm like, I don't think that's a compliment. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, but, you know, it's like we got to get past this and understand that this is a metaphor. This is a father-son metaphor. And, again, some of us, the devil has ruined that metaphor for us as well because dad's didn't hang out. I mean, it, it breaks my heart, guys, when when I hear so many people, women and men, say that their dads never said those words, I oh, love you. Man. I just want to say on behalf of all men, I'm so sorry. So sorry. Dad wouldn't say those words. I mean, your father in heaven, the Bible says that he loves you dearly. And I need you to hear that. Whoever's listening, like you need to speak that out loud. Say the father loves me dearly. If you read John chapter 14, it tells you that very specifically that Jesus says, you don't just need to come to me, but come directly to the father because he loves you dearly. So when we talk about intimacy, you know, we're not talking about it obviously in the same way that you would talk about intimacy with your wife, but there is a, there's a metaphor there that, that shows the closeness that we can have with God and it baffles the mind. It's the God who thinks of us more than the grains of the sand of the seashore. Psalm 139. And still loves us. I mean, if people could get inside my brain, my wife would hate me. You know, but but he continues to love me. This brings me to the, hey, we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsor. We'll come right back. 
The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots on the ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. Hey, this brings me to the last word. And uh, this, to me, in your book, was the predominant object lesson that I will remember. So I'm just, when I read a book, I'm trying to take stuff away. This is something I will never forget. I will quote it all the time and I will probably give you credit for the first couple times. Then I'll forget. And, uh, you know how that works. As I've always said, you'll say, yeah, the art of originality is not revealing your sources. And so, so here's the, I want you to unpack this cause you talked about intimacy with Jesus and, you know, pointing to the one thing. So speaking of the one thing, address this analogy of the Jesus nut. Mm, yeah, man. So good. The Jesus nut, bro. This is this is the thing, you know, a lot of us have heard of the Jesus freak, maybe yeah. from back in the day, G, uh, DC, talk. DC talk, all that stuff, right? I'm a Jesus freak. But I don't know if many of you guys have heard of the Jesus nut. Well, if you're in the military, then you probably know what the Jesus nut is. And it's this one nut, and it's it's so great because it's it's it was named by the men in the military, right? So this nut is the one nut that holds the rotor of the helicopter to the the uh, helicopter itself. So there's literally one nut that holds the propellers onto the body of the helicopter. And the point of this is the reason they name it the Jesus nut is because if that nut fails, it's over. Like they're going down. <laughs> it, it ain't going to happen. They're not going to fly. The gravity's taking over. They're going to crash. And so they they call it the Jesus nut because you have this concept that if your relationship, if your connection to Jesus fails in your life, you're going down. Yeah, It's over. It's done. There is no hope for you. And so I love that analogy. Now, I take it to, I want, I want to help us understand that it's not just about salvation here. Yes. Because I talk Correct. about that in the book as well. You know, I talk about the, in the book, I'll say this boldly. I say, guys, Jesus didn't die to forgive your sins. And then I pause and people are like, what heresy? What are you talking about? Okay, let me finish. Let me finish, right? Jesus didn't die for your sins. He died to reconcile you to the father, to bring you back into relationship with the father and your sins were just standing in the way. Right. So it's not just that Jesus is the way to forgiveness or that Jesus is the way to heaven. But the Bible tells us in John 14, 6, what it is. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. That is the goal. I didn't even realize that verse wasn't about Jesus, John 14, 6. Exactly. The Father, right? Yep. And no one comes to the Father except 
through me. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm the way, but I'm the way to something. He's not the way just to forgiveness, though that's needed. Forgiveness is needed so that you can get to the one thing. Forgiveness is not the one thing. Salvation is not the one thing. It's the thing that leads to the one thing, which is fellowship and relationship with the Father, which is it's impossible, but made possible through Jesus. Well, that's funny because the Jesus nut, the one thing is to keep that thing flying. And with right. Jesus, our Lord, the one thing is to keep our relationship with the Father or to regain that relationship that's with the Father. And, and it is a relationship that we have with the Father. You talk about proskenuo, but there's also gnosko, which is this intimate word and and this intimacy, which I don't like the word intimacy either. It's just not a word guys use. We use yep. relationship. We use hanging out, whatever. But, yep. but you know, and I think another word that guys struggle with is the word worship. You know, these are yep. words. Why, why are men so um, uh, set back by these words, in your opinion? Man, I think... I think part, part of it's just a tactic of the enemy. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. If you read the Bible, these manly, manly men were close with God. I yep. mean, if you look yeah. at Moses, like Moses spent 40 days on the mountain face to face with God. I mean, he came off the mountain with his face glowing and we're like, well, that's not very manly. I mean, this guy is breaking tablets and leading millions of people. He's a leader of leaders. He's not a wimp. He's not a wuss. He loves God and he has fellowship and intimacy with him. Noah, it says that he walked closely with God. Man, I mean, that guy built a massive boat. I mean, he sailed the ocean like in the worst possible storm ever. <laughs> gathered all the animals. I mean, can you imagine luring the tigers into the boat? I mean, whoa. I mean, these guys are not wusses, right? I mean, David, warrior, right? And the thing that God loved him is he was a man after God's own heart. So we, 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 we grab on to the misconception that worship is something for women. It's something for sissies. It's something that's not cool. It's something that's not manly. Man, this is the most manly thing that you can do. And we're not talking about singing, although singing is something that men need to do. And I don't care if you can't sing in pitch. You know, I sing for a living, but you don't need to. You just need to make a joyful noise, man. That's all <laughs> that matters. Like, dude, I'm telling you, if your wife and your kids will see you make a joyful noise, it will change your relationship with them. Yep. It will change your relationship with your kids like you cannot imagine. If you're struggling with your relationship with your kids, they're rebellious, whatever. If they will watch you actually seek God and make a noise and worship him in the church building, they're going to be blown away. Well, that's so good, man. I, I love that section of the book when you talk about it's uh, about, you know, not, not being about salvation, because I yeah. believe that wholeheartedly. But I'll tell you what, the other thing I believe is that, and this is when guys kind of scratch their heads, I believe that you can be a man and not be a Christian. Absolutely. I believe that you can be a Christian and not be a man. Yep. We are, and what you're saying here, what gets me fired up is yes, you can be a man and not be a Christian. For you men that listen and aren't religious guys, you can be a man, but you yep. can never, and Jeff, if I'm wrong, call me out. You can never be the best version of you apart from radical devotion to the God who created you. It just makes logical sense. If Absolutely. he made you, you talk about simplifying the gospel. Do you want to be your best version, man? You have to radically submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and let him yeah. show you what your best version even looks like. Yeah, it's it's idolatry, honestly, for us to not, because again, we're, we're worshiping ourselves. We're buying into the lies of the enemy. And, and you and I both know you can listen to a million podcasts, read a million different books, 
And a lot of them, even Christian books or Christian authors, are pointing us in a direction of dream your own dream. Oh, for sure. Build your own kingdom. Do all this stuff. And God's saying, no, there's not one example in the Bible of somebody who came up with their own dream. Like God gives out, I call them assignments. I don't even call them dreams. Yeah. I call them assignments. Even Joseph, the dreamer, didn't seek his dream. True right? statement. They, True he, statement. The dream was given to him. There are assignments that are given to you, and those are the things that God wants you to do. But we're trying to build our own you know, kingdom. We're trying to build our own identity, trying to find it outside of connection with God. When the one most important thing, I mean, you, men, we've, we've got to get this. We've got to turn this around. If you want to turn around your relationship with God, if you want to turn around your relationship with your wife, turn around your relationship with your kids, if you want to be successful in business, you know, you can have temporary success outside of pursuing the Lord, but it's going to be temporary. Yep. It's not going to last. You're going to, you're going to build your own kingdom and it's going to come crashing down. You've got to seek God. That's what you were made for. Paul revealed it. He said, man, I, I, I count everything else as garbage. Scubala. As dung, as, as crap. <laughs> I count everything else uh, as, as nothing compared to this one thing. And, and you go, okay, what is that one thing? Is it sharing the gospel? Is it helping the poor? Is it social justice? No, it's none of those things. It's knowing Christ. Yep. It's relational stuff. One of the most powerful, you know, and this, uh, you know, I, I share this when I talk to pastors and leaders because they they mess this up a lot because they're like us. We love to do. But I talk about that that thing with ministry and intimacy in Matthew chapter seven. It actually gives us this warning. It says, then this is Jesus talking. This is not somebody else. This is Jesus talking. He says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. Okay, that's high stuff. Some men are like, well, I, I would never do those things. But we could probably all agree that that's, that's high form of ministry. Yep. It ought to be recognized. But then Jesus replies in verse 23, but I will reply, I never, never. knew you. Whoa, dude. When I read that, I thought to myself, you could actually spend your whole life as a pastor, as an evangelist doing ministry and still not spend eternity with God because you're not pursuing him. You're pursuing identity through ministry. So the same thing can happen to us in your job, your career. And, and it's about knowing God. And he clarified That's that. That's so there. good, man. Well, you know, I really appreciate because you, you know, you're taking worship and you're breaking it down to this responding to God. You said this in the be very beginning parts of your book. You said, quote, worship is not an obligation. Yes. It's an invitation. And here's what I thought that was really resonating with me. I think the men will love. You continued and you said, it's an adventure. Yes. And see, that's yes. what guys don't, they have a wrong picture. If I give my life to Jesus, I'll be less of a man. If I got, yeah. give my life to Jesus, I won't. I'm going to tell you something. If you give your life to Jesus, you'll be more of a man than you yes. ever could have been before. So let's let's go back to your quote on page 37. You said, biblical worship, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about your book right now, talking about worship. Biblical yes. worship, you say, is much more than singing. So much more. I love how you break your sentences, these little two-word sentences. I love it. <laughs> Paradoxically, worship isn't meant to rely on music for its sole expression, but musical worship is meant to serve as an expression of a life lived in worship unto God, and you continued on the next page, worship is life, and life is worship. 
Do you expand yes. on that? Absolutely. Yep. As we were talking about earlier, like music is only a portion of worship. The whole point of worship is just communion with God. Now, we always imagine if you're not thinking it's singing, then you're thinking it's praying or you're thinking yes. it's Bible study, which, of course, those things are important. And we are we're going to challenge you with those things because as men, we have to know God. And those are some great avenues to knowing God. But what he's talking about, what we're talking about here is this adventure. It's all day, every day. I'm telling you, man, I'll give you this example. And I share this in the book, but one of my, my, my son's friends was talking to him. They were in the car. My, my wife was driving them somewhere and they were talking about God and, and this or that. And the friend who is not saved uh, said to my son, oh, Roman, you know, God, God is not, uh, there's more to life than God. That's what he said. There's more than life, more to life than God. And it was kind of shocking, but it led me to this analogy. The Holy Spirit dropped in my heart about how we categorize God. We have our categories, right? We say, this is work. This is family. This is vacation. This is finances. And this is religion over here. Yes. It's a category that doesn't touch any of the other categories. We go to church, we do this thing, and then we go out thinking that we've done our duty. We clock in, clock out of church or whatever, or his presence, you know? And so what I realized in that moment is that what God wants us to do is to take that category of religion, which is really about relationship, connection with God, and turn it this way, and slide it underneath all of the other ah. categories. Every category is set on a foundation of relationship. Now, my finances are connected to God. My family is, is on the foundation of God. It's not a separate thing that we go to church and then we leave and we're gone. No, God is a part of every aspect of our lives, which also helps with our accountability. I mean, God, our, our sexuality is sitting on the foundation of God, yep, yep. you know, our integrity, our whatever, all those things. And so now God is touching every part of our lives. And when we honor him in our finances, with our wife, with our kids, then we are worshiping him because every time we honor him and obey him, it is worship unto him. Well, you know, you didn't say this and I don't know, I hope I'm not throwing you under the bus, but that friend in the story was a girl friend yeah that's true and, I, yeah. and I, that hit me because i think our wives when a wife sees a man get it spiritually yep. her first reaction is oh i've been praying for this her second reaction is oh my gosh this is going to change everything and yes that's it true. does because when a man gets it everyone wins. that's right i mean that's and that's what you're that's what is so important that that the, our yes. women in our lives need to realize everything i do is not based on you it's based yes. on him and That's because right. it's based on him, everything I do with you will now change. So I'm going to talk about something in your book. This is my favorite part. This was the okay. thing that I think about. I probably will continue to think about. Uh, it really impacted me on a deep spiritual level. Uh, this is my favorite part. Page 54, you wrote this. <laughs> Man, I, I feel like I could have wrote this, but I never thought of it. So you wrote it. Maybe, I love it. I love yeah, it. maybe we don't need to worry about God if God Maybe we don't need to worry about whether God will show up in our lives or in our services, but rather if we will show up in his presence. Will we be present in his presence? Now, to me, that is the price of admission. 
So yes. often we show up and we don't have Jesus as the, or God, the Father as the foundation of everything. So often we show up to worship with a critical spirit, or we show up yes. to worship our services with a with baggage from the week before, or we show up uh, with an attitude of superiority, right? Or you know, yeah. we show up with all these things. But you're saying just show up. Yeah, this is the well, most important part. Speaks, yeah, this speaks to two different types of people, right? You, and we're talking about the presence of God here and how, you know, it, it, I use the analogy in the book that I could be sitting in the same room with my wife. And just because we're in each other's physical presence doesn't mean that we're actually in a relation, relational presence. She could be reading a book. I could be watching TV. And just because we're in the same room doesn't mean we're actually in each other's presence. So the same thing happens when you walk into a church building. Now, there's two different people this speaks to. Number one, there's there's some people out there that they are super passionate about God and they're just seeking him. But I find that sometimes it's like they're they spend their whole time in the service during the musical worship portion time begging God to show up. Oh Lord, like <laughs> as if we sing loud enough, if we sing long enough. And I love to sing, I love to go long. I mean, I, I think it's important, all those things. But if we sing loud enough, then God will finally go, okay, they're serious. Now I'm going to come down and show up, you know? When I mean, and I mean, again, we talk about the manifest presence of God. I do believe that God will move and we can use terms like show up. But the greater question is not, is God going to show up? He's going to be faithful. He's going to do his part of the equation. But the question is, are we going yes. to do our part? Because he can engage a relationship is two ways, right? He can engage all day long. And if we're over here not engaging, then we're not showing up. So it, it invites those who are saying they're spending too much time worrying if God's going to show up to say, hey, he's ready. Are you? And then you have the casual churchgoer that this speaks to as well, or the person that just kind of casual in their life, the religious or whatever. And they're just, they might go to church. They kind of clock in, clock out. They show up and they think they've done their duty, which this is never a duty. As you said, it's not an obligation. It's an invitation. Yep. But it, I guess it speaks to the person that could actually go to a church service and listen to the songs, maybe even raise a hand. That would be pretty radical. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe even sing or whatever, be in the church building, and then walk out believing that they've done their religious duty, believing that they've maybe even encountered God, but they've actually just encountered man. They've encountered a song, or they've encountered an atmosphere of a, of a room. They've encountered singers or talented people or whatever. You know, so it really speaks to me. And you mentioned this when we were talking earlier, the idea that, you know, I, when I go to a church service or when I spend time alone with God in this very basement right here, I want to make sure I'm not just going through the motions, but I'm yeah. actually engaging my heart and my mind and my whole self with the king of the universe. Well, you, you speak to something that's really powerful. I, I really, first of all, I really appreciate your quote by John Wimber. Yeah. I was a vineyard guy for years. That's I got saved and was discipled in the vineyard, got married in the vineyard. And I love Good. your quote. One of the things when I was in the vineyard that I, I kind of has a hesitancy about, and you address yeah. it in your book, you address that first worshiper, the first one that shows up begging for God's presence. And you, yeah. you said this, um, you said you began to notice, uh, you said, I began to uncover a subtle ploy of the enemy to get us to view God as an it. Yes. When it is all said and done, we must find ourselves engaged with the person of God yes. 
pursuing poignant relations with him, fully presence in his presence. And so I think what I found when I was in the vineyard, we were so passionate for Jesus, for the Father, we pursued the gift. Yes. Oh God, oh God, I need you, more of you, more of you, more of you, realizing that it wasn't about pursuing the gift, it's about or the emotion or the feeling. Yeah. Because you're 49, I'm 53. You know, we don't have the feeling every day, but we're That's pursuing right. God more passionately than ever. Can you talk us through this uh, this ploy of the enemy, this subtle ploy to get us to view God as an it? Yeah, absolutely. It's so important because, and, and, and sometimes, sadly, you know, we actually reinforce that wrong idea in our songs. We will refer yes. to the presence of God as something to achieve. Your glory, Lord. Yes, yes, as if it's something outside of him. And I guess one of the ways I address it in the book, we got to keep fighting to remember that he is a he, not he is an it. And it's tough because our language sometimes it doesn't it doesn't do it justice, you know. So we we'll say the Holy Spirit, and then we'll talk about his presence, and we'll talk about it as opposed to he was with us. And the danger there is that we try to separate. We tend to try to separate and think of it as an emotion, as you were saying, you know. Now. When I, when I engage in God's presence, I can often expect, if I'm fully invested, that there will be some sort of an emotion. Just like when I'm fully invested in a, in a, in a football game, there's going to be an emotion. At some point, I'm going to jump up. I'm going to shout. I'm going to be like, what's that ref doing? Or yes, yeah. touchdown or whatever. You know, there's going to be something. And when I'm fully engaged, there's going to be an emotion. But the problem with thinking of God as an emotion or an it is that then you lose that relational component and then you start seeking the emotion instead of him. You seek to replicate the experience instead of just seeking the person, right? So we end up going, oh, I spent time with God. I had tears. So next time I spend time with God, if I don't have tears, then I didn't encounter him. And that's a lie because we know the Bible says that God is always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us, whether we have tears or not. Well, it's interesting. Dale's daughter just got back from a life-changing event. Uh, I'm a huge fan of YWAM. I've spoken as a DTS speaker on about 12 different occasions. Uh, yeah. Dale's daughter just left. When I was a youth pastor, I told kids, don't go to college, go on a mission. Big fan, big fan. Yeah. However, the problem when these young people come back from their mission is they've had this massive, massive, unequivocal experience with God, life-changing, yep. that is almost non-replicable. And so, yes. so, but they come back expecting that to be an everyday thing. And what Dale and I have been talking about is how do how does he help Haley to transition into the real world of God being a he, not an it, yes. right? And this is what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, it's so important. I mean... You know, again, and those mountaintop experiences are incredible and they are needed. You know, um, they will they will provide moments for you in your life when you go, I can think back to that moment. And I know that I know that I know, you know. Right. So that was a great experience for her. I, I've been on mission trips myself, just went to Africa this summer. Uh, you know, it just changes you. Right. But as you said, there is an everyday life experience. And so what I try to do, and I do this with my kids. Um, I have four kids. I've got a 16-year-old, 15-year-old uh, guy who just literally, today's his birthday. Oh, no way. Happy birthday, Channing. Happy birthday, Channing. <laughs> Shout out. That's right. And then our little girl, Clara. So i got three boys and a little girl. But I try to help them understand that 
I mean, we have big experiences. Like we go to a big conference or we go like my, my older two boys are at camp right now and they're going to have a mountaintop experience. Come back. Wow. This is amazing. They don't have their phones this week. I mean, how could you not have it? <laughs> they don't have God in a hand. They're hand God. It's <laughs> amazing. Their phones are sitting on our kitchen table. Oh, that's like, a miracle oh, right there. A miracle, right? But, but then they're going to come back and I've got to teach them how to live the everyday. And so we try to have small, um, uh, consistent portions of God every day so that we get used to that discipline in our lives. And then we have, we have the emotional times that come and they come whenever they come, you know, sometimes he touches you. Hey, so we spent a lot of time dealing with a what in your section and your book is broken into four sections. I know I said three earlier, but there's four, uh, the what, the why, the who, and the how on page one Oh two, you wrote this. And I thought this was so powerful when it, when it comes to the why we worship. You said, we don't have a choice in the matter, not whether we will worship, but who or what we worship. Worshipful yes. response to God is always born out of an insightful re- revelation about God. So yes. powerful. You unpack that? Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I give full credit to uh, Louis Giglio, which I do talk about him in the book yep, as well. Yep, you do. Because- he really, uh, I learned a lot of this stuff, that this particular uh, concept from him, the concept that we're always worshiping because people don't get it. If they think of as worship as music, then they're like, well, no, that's only something that happens right before the sermon. But worship is actually something that's happening at all times. Like whatever, it's, it's your, it's your, it's the way that you allocate your resources. Come on, let's let's talk men language for here. For sure, know? for I sure. Mean, right? It's like, okay, I have a certain amount of resources, and time, of course, is my greatest resource, but things like money, too, and talent, those things, giftings, all those things, people, the resources. And so the way that I utilize my resources proves what I worship, right? I used for to hear my sure. From Nashville, talk about this and say, hey, back in the day when we used a checkbook, you know, but you just look at your bank account and you'll find out what you worship, right? I mean, and I joke about it because, I mean, one of the things I love so much is Ben and Jerry's ice cream, you know? Almost every night during the summer, during the school year, we only do sweets on the weekends, but, but man, I love me some Ben and Jerry's ice cream, you know? Chunky monkey. (laughs) Yeah, someone could say that, by the way I spend my money and the way I spend my calories... You know, there's a certain amount of worship that's going on there. That right? hurt. That so hurt. That <laughs> we are all worshiping at yeah. all times, and the question is not whether you're going to worship. It, it, it's it's even people who say they're not religious. They are still worshiping their ideologies, their way of life, their whatever it is. And so, to, to once you know that, once you recognize, oh, I don't actually have to try to worship. I just have to refocus. What I'm worshiping, or I should say appropriately, who yes. I'm worshiping. Yes. So that I'm making sure that I'm giving God honor in everything. That's so we are made to worship. God has created us for that purpose. And yes. we it's sad how many guys worship Fox News or the sports channel yes. or or yes. their careers and, and just yes. taking I I would say I like to ask guys that hand me your phone. Let me just scroll through your internet history, scroll through your your money apps, scroll through yep. your social media stuff. I'll tell you who you worship. Yes. It's not hard yeah, to it, tell you. Yeah, and it's it's so important because I mean, we've got to be able to reconfigure this whole thing. We've got to be begin to realize how important it is to seek God. It's what we were made for. We uh, guys, let me let me give this analogy, right? 
Like if you bought a car, and of course most cars these days are unleaded gas only, right? But if for us to, redir- um, to, to reject what we were made for, if we agree that we were made to worship God, which now we've redefined what worship is, it's not just music, but it's living for God. If we were made for that, that that's our primary purpose. And then out of that is to share the gospel and live for him and have an abundant life and, and all those things. If that's our primary purpose, rejecting our primary purpose of fellowship with God would be the exact same as you going to a gas station and saying, you know what? Screw those guys who said it's unleaded gasoline only. I'll put whatever I want to in the tank. I'm pretty smart. Who are they, the maker of the car, to tell me how to use my car? And so you pull up to the gas station and you know you get your diesel and well, if it fits in there, you stick it in there and you you fill up your car, your unleaded gasoline car with diesel and try to drive off. I mean, that's insanity. So guys, you've got to understand, like you were made to worship and fellowship God, to be with him in every part of your life. So to reject that is as dumb as saying, hey, I'm going to put a Kool-Aid in my gas tank. Well, then we move on to the section three, who you worship. And and I really think of Giglio here with his indescribable. I think he yes. wrote the, I think he actually wrote that song and he did yeah, a he sermon. Yeah. He wrote yeah. a sermon that was unbelievable. And when you talk about why worship, uh, I mean, or who we worship, I mean, who you have uh, two chapters in your book. You called them, you called them in your book, probably quote, probably the two most critical chapters in the book. The chapters are 12 and 13, which are titled The Invisible God and The Unequivocally Supreme God. Why do we have to hit this one out of the park when it comes to worship? Well, I'll tell you what, th- those two chapters are, and we could spend a whole hour just talking For sure. about those chapters. Uh, we won't, obviously, but we can at least whet your appetite because this is something that, you know, it floored me. I actually tell a story of uh, a friend of mine who spoke, who I didn't know at the time, but, and he, he, he started his message off with this idea of, I wonder sometimes if we overemphasize Jesus. Yeah. And these two chapters unpack this concept. I mean, how can you overemphasize Jesus? I mean, he's the, the he's, he's the hinge pin. He's the Jesus nut, right? But what we do in, in this is that we, as we study the word, we recognize, as I mentioned in John 14, 6, that the purpose of life, and I, I have to be careful with this because I'm not trying to bring Jesus down here. Agreed. But I, what I feel like is that, is that the Father has been left down here when Jesus has been elevated. So it's not that we need to bring Jesus down to where the Father is. We need to bring the Father back up to where Jesus is. And the whole point of Jesus giving his life was to help us get to the Father. And I mean, I think I think it's funny because the Father often gets a bad rap. We think of God as the mean, cruel guy in the Old Testament is always killing everyone. And we think of Jesus as the nice, you know, lovey-dovey guy in the New Testament. Well, it couldn't be further from the truth because both of them are both. Like if you actually read the Old Testament, you'll see that there's forgiveness there. There's actually grace in the Old Testament. God loves us in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus is also extremely feisty and says very politically incorrect things in the New Testament. He is, you know, God is described as as uh, um, 
a consuming fire in the New Testament as well. It talks about how, the, how you can anger the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Oh my goodness, who knew? I thought the, the Holy Spirit was just this lovey-dovey kind, you know, but he gets angry. I mean, so it's, it's a both and, and the whole point of those chapters to help us unpack the, the, the bad rap, honestly, that the Father has, has gotten through the lies of the enemy trying to keep you from engaging with him relationally. Well, and when you walk out at, and you look up at the stars at night, and you realize the Bible says he hung the stars and calls them by name. Yeah. Man, it just it's mind-blowing that you called the unequivocally supreme God. I mean, this is the God of the universe. Well, it's worth it's worth looking this verse up real fast too in in 1 Corinthians uh 15 because I talk about this at the very end of that chapter. And it's a verse, honestly, I had never, ever read in my entire life. Well, I had read it, but I guess I never processed it, you know, because I read the whole Bible several times. But uh, first, first Corinthians chapter 15, it's, it's, it's just an amazing picture. It talks about after Jesus, I'll start in verse uh, 23. It says, but there is an order. So first Corinthians 15, verse 23 says, but there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised first. Then when Christ comes back, all his people will be raised. Okay, so verse 24, after that, so after Christ comes back, so this is after the second coming, after that, the end will come when he, Jesus, will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having put down all enemies of every kind, for Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet. Verse 26. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Verse 27. For the scriptures say God has given him, Jesus, authority. Who gave Jesus authority? God. God has given Jesus authority over all things. And I love it because there's a biblical parenthesis here. Yeah. Uh, this is not something I'm adding, but it's something that Paul is writing. He says, parentheses, of course, when it says authority over all things, it does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Last verse, 28, says, then when he has conquered all things, that's Jesus, the son will present himself to God so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. And that's where I get the title of that, that chapter, Utterly Supreme God, uh, is because it now it helps me understand that there's this beautiful picture of Jesus giving back all that he's been given and having God reign. And, and, and he's going to sit at the right hand of the Father who's sitting on the throne reigning uh, oh, overall. I, it's so powerful when we acknowledge who God actually is. It is literally life-changing. So uh, in yes. chapter 19... You, you, you mentioned something, and this is in the how portion. So you spend your second, your fourth section of the book is how do we worship? How do we do this? Yep. And the yep. takeaway for me, man, and I don't struggle with this very often because my personality is pretty uh, demonstrative, such as yourself. But yep. sometimes I show up and I don't feel like it. I just yes. don't feel like it. I'm like, you yep. know what? I don't want to be here. I'm going to put my yep. time in check my church box and go. You quote several people here, C.S. Lewis, Bill Johnson, Bill Johnson down at Bethel Reading. You quoted him and you said, uh, if you only do what you feel like doing, you are not a believer. You are a feeler. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I thought, oh man, I thought that was so good. And then people go, well, that's Bill Johnson. I don't really agree with his doctrine. I'm part of the Frozen Trozen or something. But then you quote C.S. Lewis. Everybody loves C.S. Lewis. In Mere Christianity, he said, when you are behaving as if someone, as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. In other words, you're you're, you're responding to uh, uh, this relationship even if you don't feel like it. So right. so what are some takeaways yeah. on this house section yeah. for you? That was my Absolutely. major takeaway. What would you share with our guys? No, that's huge. I mean, you know, that that chapter I think is called uh, Loving God When You Don't Feel Like It. And, yeah. and that's something that we can all relate to. You know, I mean, I'm a professional worship leader. I mean, I lead worship oftentimes to, to make a living. I teach about worship in, in at North Central University as a professor. But I, t- I oftentimes will get on a stage and I don't feel like worshiping God, but I'm telling you guys, like, and you've experienced this, if I will worship by faith, because a lot of people feel they, they somehow have this grand idea that if they didn't feel like worshiping God, then they're being fake when they worship when they didn't feel like it. But that's not true. The whole, the whole kingdom is built on faith. So we don't fake it to make it. We faith it <laughs> to make it. Yes. Right. right? So if I don't feel like worshiping God, should I just go, oh, well, I don't want to be fake. I guess I'll just stop singing or stop worshiping through music or whatever. No, I will step in by faith. And what's crazy is as I open my mouth in faith, when I don't feel like it, when I'd rather be a million other places, something starts to shift in my heart. My brain starts to open and awaken. Let's use that word, awaken again to who God is. And this is something that has to happen almost every day. There has to be a fresh awakening. So a couple other things I think that are important about the, the house section uh, of this book. I mean, there's basically six chapters in the house section. And I feel like one of them that is so important, and this is tough for men, but uh, chapter 18, it's called Like a Child. I love you know, that chapter. There are not many things in the Bible where it says, if you don't do this, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Well, this is one of them. So I'm taking notice and I'm calling you men to accountability. It says, if you do not become like a child, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that means we have to unpack that, right? In your book, it actually says two things. So it doesn't say one thing. Now, come on. In the book, you say two things. You say, repent and become a child. Two things. Well, and that's just out of that verse. I mean, there's a couple other things there's other places where it'll say if, you know, idolaters and gossipers and homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. But there's just not a lot of places. But in that particular verse you're talking about, it actually does mention two things. you got to repent, and then you, you also have to become like a child. So it puts those things together, and I think that's your point. Yeah, we for all sure. If we understand something about God, we understand we got to repent. Yep. But a lot of us don't get this other one that's paired with it that says we need to become like a child. Now, I'll just say one quick thing about this, and that is that you've got to understand that there's a difference between being childish and being childlike. Yes. So don't think of, oh, God's telling me to resort to being like a child. Oh, when I think of my kid, I think of him throwing tantrums. When I think of my kid, I think of him throwing tantrums, or I think you know, of, of being selfish or saying, mine, mine. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about childish. We're child- talking about childlike, and I talk about what that means a lot in the book. Well, it's that innocence of a child. It's that faith of a child. It's that recklessness of a child. Here's the part I love. It's that girls are gross enough cooties. 
I mean, you know what I mean? I think in heaven we're going to be 20-year-old bodies with five-year-old brains. Like, we're going to see, like, our, these girls as, like, normal humans that we play in the mud with, right? You know, right. that don't the boobs don't throw us off, you know, because they're, like, exactly. you know, they're just, like, we're like kindergartners. And so I love it. And I think that's so true, man. I think the older, you know, Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 4, though outwardly we're wasting away inwardly yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day and it's this whole childlike thing that we're we should not become old and grumpy as we get older we should be coming wild and crazy and reckless and and full of abandon and wonder and awe yes it's so important because in the world that we live in honestly we allow the physical to dictate everything yes Uh uh-huh the physical body dictates everything and trust me i mean my dad's 79. I'm 49. He's obviously in a different place physically than I am. Even at 49, I'm starting to realize, I mean, dude, I'm having surgery next week. Uh, I'm like, what? What in the world? Something went wrong with my body, right? So, but at 79, he is in, in it's a bigger challenge, but I've challenged him and I want him to challenge me too. Say, don't, don't allow your spirit to be told what to do by your body. Yeah. Tell your body what to do from your spirit. You know, your spirit, like you said, is being renewed every day, even though your body's not. But it's tough. If you live in your own strength, you're going to fall into uh, the, the, the way of actually allowing your body to rule your life. Don't do that. Allow your spirit, like a child, to reign. Well, that's so good, man. I appreciate this section because, you know, you talk about the how of worship, which is overcoming your feeling. Uh, You know, I really appreciate that. And I think of the music component. We worship through music. I I think another one here that I don't feel like doing is is my financial giving. My loaning yes. of my resources, my my giving of my time. These, to me, are all acts of service and worship. I would never give that money away before I knew Christ. I would yes. I would not do those things. I would guard and hoard and build my own kingdom. But but you're yes. saying that part of the how is to release those things and to hold yes. them with an open hand. Yeah, I mean, you know, the kingdom, again, it's, it's always paradoxical, like we said at the beginning of this. You know, the Bible tells us in Luke 9, 24, that if you want to keep your life, you have to lose it. And so when it comes to giving or doing things that you don't feel like doing, that's the whole point. It's actually letting go because not because God's trying to make life hard, because that's that's the lie. It's that God, oh, why does God have to make it so hard? He's always asking me to give or to serve or to to to, to worship him in ways I don't feel comfortable. It's like, but but what you don't understand is that that's the passageway to true freedom. Yep, like for sure. You get to the point in your life where you can give a lot away. You're actually the most free. When you can't give, it's when you're the, the least free. You're in, in your captivity. Yes. So when you, when you learn to lift up your hands to God, it actually is a place of freedom that you can't get to outside of God helping you. And it shows a depth of relationship with him. It's not a place of bondage. People think that that by following what God says, we're in bondage. But I would say the opposite. It's actually by following the person who's truly free is the one who's free to obey because they understand how God loves them. And his commands are not burdensome. They're actually blessings. It's an invitation, not an obligation. Yes, love it. I love it. Hey, man, I appreciate the book. I uh, I saw the cover and I had to think of the book, The Shack and the Fractal. Do you remember that section? Oh, sure. The Fractal. Sure. I, I thought yeah. this was really cool, man. Hey, where can these guys pick up your book? 
Yeah, man. Um, you can go to jeffdo.com. That's probably the easiest way, but you can also get it on Amazon. Uh, I was checking even the other day and there are still many bookstores around the country, the Barnes and Noble stores that actually are carrying my book. And wow. I would even say, look, if you have a Barnes and Noble in your area, go check and see. I went there the other day and they had a copy here in my local Barnes and Noble. Check and see. And then if they don't, go ask them. That would be the thing that I would love. I mean, everybody can shop at Amazon, right? But if you would go to the bookstore and say, hey, would you order me a copy of that book? They'll have it in their catalog. They can actually order it for you. That would actually do me the most uh, favor. So, All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and and uh, uh, taking a masculine approach at this word worship. I'm really excited. Guys, you're probably going, okay, what's, what, what, what's next, man? What, what do I do about this? What are the boots on yeah. the ground? So here, guys, here's your boots on the ground moment. Uh, I want when you hear this, the weekend after you hear this podcast, that next Sunday, when you go to church. And let me stop and say this: if you don't go to church, I want you to go to church that Sunday. What church you? I don't know. Close your eyes and pick one. Just pick a church of evangelical Christian church. I don't care. Go to church, and when you're at church, I want you to focus on being present before your God. Don't yes. show up to sing. Don't show up to listen. Show up to be present in front of your creator. I want you to try that and uh, let us know how that goes. We're going to post on our uh, two forums. We have a, our forum on our website through Tribes. We have our Facebook forum. We're going to post a question uh, of what happened when you showed up, and uh, we want to know what's going on there. So, guys, hey, we'll also post that in my weekly equipping blog for men. You can subscribe to that by going to our website, menandarena.org, and when you do that, we'll give you a free copy, electronic copy of my bathroom book for men. So we'll get you guys signed up and taken care of you there. And guys, hey, as I shared before, we are a nonprofit faith-based uh, organization for men. We rely heavily uh, on our donors. We are a crowdfunded organization, and we're actually in the middle of a raise of 180000 in 180 days. And so if you feel led to help us increase our staff team, really would appreciate that, guys. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Worship your God, grind it out, and be a man. Men in the Arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's Bathroom Book for Men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.